0: You're listening to the Book Your Dream Clients podcast, episode 73. Lindsay Maloney. On today's episode, we're chatting with Janelle Hardy, who is a writer, artist, and the host of the Personal Myth-Making Podcast and the creator teacher of a five-month transformational memoir writing course called The Art of Personal Myth-Making. Janelle's a born and raised Yukonner, a solo mother who has been working as a trauma-enforced body worker in the hands-on healing arts field for 13 plus years and as an artist for 17 plus years. Throughout that time, she's taught adults out of her living room, art centers, universities, and community colleges. And for the past four years, she's integrated all of her expertise, including a BA in Anthropology, an MA in Dance, and a Diploma in Structural Integration into supporting people in their creative healing work via the alchemy of transformational memoir writing. We're really digging into the memoir writing portion of Janelle's expertise. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Janelle, thank you so much for being on the Book Your Dream Clients podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Oh, hi. I'm really excited to be here too. Janelle, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know about what you do and who you serve.
1: Okay. So I serve women and non-binary folks who are really interested in two simultaneous things. One is healing and transformation and the other is memoir writing I, uh, I, I support um, these people in achieving those goals through a really amazing transformational memoir writing process called The Art of Personal Myth Making, which incorporates body-based prompts and uh, that are very much nervous system oriented. And this is very supportive in helping people to work with the more difficult or painful memories that they have alongside um, I'll just amazing writing prompts that bring people into a different perspective about their life story. And we use fairy tales, which is really fun.
0: This is so interesting, Janelle. So can you, if no one has ever heard of this before, can you give us a little bit of an introduction as to what this technique is?
1: Um, So one of the biggest challenges for people in specific to writing about their own life is actually procrastination and putting it off and perfectionism thinking you have to be a good writer before you start. So I use writing prompts that are um, basically a question or a suggestion um, followed by timed writing. So it often gets called automatic writing or flow writing and that the, the idea is that you just write and you write like crazy, like a maniac. You Preferably you're writing by hand, but you can write by keyboard as well. And the way that these writing prompts sidestep all of the resistance that comes up about getting started and all of the thoughts of not being good enough is that you write down anything that comes to mind. Um, so for example, If I were to give a writing prompt like um, hmm, your first kiss, say, and someone sits down and they're like, oh, I don't know where to start or, you know, all the thoughts that start coming up with flow writing and these timed writing prompts, what you would do is you would just put your pen down and if I don't know what to write, comes up that's what you write down and then if the next thought is this is so annoying then you write that down too and you just keep going um, more stream of consciousness and you keep going and you just don't let the thoughts stop you and eventually the whatever strangeness is in your head that is coming out on paper it starts to shift and when the shift happens suddenly the story starts to come up And because, um, especially as you do this more often, um, you get in the habit of feeling more comfortable with um, stream of consciousness, with the awkwardness, with how it maybe doesn't make sense to your brain. At the moment, as you get more comfortable with that, the story that's waiting to come out of you starts to show up more quickly and with more ease. And then the timer goes. And uh, usually I recommend 15 minutes and then you just set that writing prompt away for a bit you don't reread it but you've got this jewel of a story that has had a chance to get out of you and at some point you would be circling back and working with it in a more deliberate fashion but we always start with writing prompts that are intended to just get you going.
0: I love that and I see a lot of people will we'll do um, writing prompts. And I always wonder, like, what is the purpose of doing this? So give me an example of somebody who would benefit with just starting with writing prompts.
1: So I break my writing prompts into kind of two pieces. One are the more classic uh, written down prompt where you read it, and it gives you an idea and you get going. And then the other writing prompts that I start people with, and I always recommend starting with a these ones first are the body-based prompts. So the body-based prompts are about tuning into a a sensation or an experience within your body, within your um, sensory world, which is uh, hearing, seeing, taste, smell, touch, and allowing that to open up um, what's within. So in our culture, you know, if I say our being kind of Western and North American and in Canada, Mm -hmm. we're very heavily emphasizing the brain and thinking processes and the body and the wisdom in our body really gets set aside and discounted and devalued. So for anyone who is really longing for a deeper connection with their body, my body-based writing prompts are just going to be wonderful for them. Um, For anyone who feels like... um, they don't have stories worth telling or feels like they're a boring person or they haven't had an exciting life, <laughs> which I can say is not true. Even someone who's had a really um, contained steady life has amazing stories, but we get, we can get all these funny ideas about ourselves. Right. Um, but for someone that is thinking that about themselves, writing prompts are great because it opens up possibility um and the unexpectedness of a question uh, or a physical sensation that we can't think up for ourselves that comes from someone else for in my course for me um, opens up possibility and it makes space for memories and stories that we may have um, discounted or forgotten about or shut down for example so so people longing for connection with their bodies will love my body-based writing prompts. And um, yeah, people that don't know where to start or think they don't have um, enough stories, writing the writing prompts are great for them. And also the, on the other side of the spectrum, people that are overwhelmed by how many stories they have, <laughs> mm-hmm. overwhelm can really stop people from starting as well. Um, these prompts are helpful for them too. Cause then you just don't have to think about it. You just one step at a time, one 15 minute prompt at a time. You just trust the process and things start to arise without having to try to figure everything out all on your own, which I know is um, what, especially what creative ambitious women tends to do. Mm-hmm. For example, myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think it's important that you brought up the fact that so many, so many women, don't think they have a story to tell. And I love that you give that technique um, just to get them started. I mean, I I find if I'm in a meeting or if I'm on the phone or waiting, waiting on hold forever, like I'll just start writing. And I love that you said like, this, this is boring. I don't know what to say. Like you just start writing. So do you find that once you just get started, it just kind of starts to
1: pour out? It does. It does. It really does. And sometimes, um, sometimes the whole 15 minutes is just, kind of negative and miserable (laughs) that's okay too so a lot of what I do is helping people build capacity for not being brilliant you know just having the full range of amazing writing flow out terrible writing flow out embarrassing writing flow out um, mediocre writing flow out and then another amazing story and being okay with the full range because we can't get it right all the time Mm -hmm. you know so It helps to start to really learn that whatever flows out is okay. Mm -hmm. How did you get started with
0: um, like your transformational memoir writing? You got started in some way on your own. Would you mind sharing how you started that journey?
1: Sure. It's kind of a long story. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try to, I'll try to keep to the main points. Um, I've always loved writing. So I remember when I was, I think I was seven or nine, asking for a typewriter for Christmas and I got it. <laughs> I love that because I asked for one too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's amazing what our young child selves already knew about our future yeah. path. You know? So writing has always been a huge part of my life, even before I knew it was a thing called writing. You know, I was always drawn to express myself um so so that was one part of it then the other part was I've always been drawn to fairy tales and ancient tales and mythology so I also remember as a child just poring over these big fairy tale books like Grimm's Fairy Tales and Hans Christian Andersen and I think we might have had a world folk tales book in my home and Um, also I have to say my parents were incredibly strict about television. (laughs) So (laughs) if I wanted entertainment, my siblings and I really had to make our own and do a lot of reading because, uh, we didn't even have a TV till I was seven. And then we only had the one free, um, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation channel, uh, they refused to pay for cable. And so us four siblings were each allowed to pick one show and that was it per week. We could watch each other's shows. So, so I read a lot of fairy tales, (laughs) Um, which, uh, you know, and then I stepped away from that world a bit, but then stepped back into the mystery of these incredible um, stories that some are over 6,000 years old. And, you know, why is it that they, continue on with us right there's a reason for that so i got really interested in that again um, and i find it's really helpful to um, support developing a narrative structure for people by w- getting them working with their favorite ancient tale um, and then the body-based part of the work is that I've always been very interested in dance and dancing. I just actually, dancing is my favorite thing ever. <laughs> and um, I studied dance and I studied anthropology. And and then I ended up becoming a hands-on healing, pre- healing arts practitioner, doing Hellerwork structural integration. The more well-known version of that is rolfing, but basically... It's a very deep, intensive uh, kind of body work, like deep tissue massage combined with movement lessons. And it's all about orienting people back within the field of gravity. Um, Another way of saying that is you fixing your posture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's an 11 session series that people go through with me. So I've got 13 years of experience working with people really intensively one-on-one and taking them through a transformational process. And, Part of that process uh, that kind of arose organically was really getting to know people through their life stories um, and just learning through experience how our stories are carried in our bodies um, and how a physical release through the fascial system, through the nervous system, um, through even just talking about something as I'm working on a certain area of their body creates this incredible shift for people um, because our bodies are not separate from our minds and our hearts and our souls even though in um, western culture we're really taught to believe that and so I got about a 13 year uh, apprenticeship in really understanding how intricately connected the body is and um, also how lonely our bodies are to be attended to and paid attention to. They, they hold so much for us. And um, <clears throat> so I'm kind of getting to about four years ago now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so for a long time, and then the creativity side of it with writing and I'm also a visual artist, I had all these experiences of being really skilled in what felt like really different areas of my life that didn't seem to cross paths or overlap, you know, like dance and painting and writing and um, body work. And then um, just my general curiosities about culture and cultural knowledge and um, fairy tales and mythology, stuff like that. It all felt really separated. And then to be honest, my course just showed up to me. The, The title, Personal Myth Making, showed up. I was making a poster for a Couple living room workshops I wanted to teach just for fun. <laughs> One of them was intuitive painting. I was sure people were going to sign up for that. And I was like, oh, uh, oh, personal myth making. It just popped into my head. I was like, huh, what's that? <laughs> Love Talked it. Eight weeks. <laughs> Culture and fairy tales and writing. Um, and I thought, well, no one's going to show up for that. I don't even know what I would teach. And then four people signed up for personal myth-making and no one signed up for intuitive painting. It's <laughs> <was> like, what? <laughs> <Am> I, what? <laughs> I'm doing it, but what am I doing? And <laughs> so, And the course has just evolved itself through me. Um, I feel like it uses every bit of the skills and um uh, knowledge and interest that I have that didn't seem connected and I also feel like um, you know being self-employed especially as a single mother is really really tough and there have been so many times where I've just wanted to have a job job and not um, not follow the path that I'm following in and, and I have just not been allowed this like the soul of this course keeps showing up and refining itself through me. And when I do try to get a job job, I might be able to get a part-time job, (laughs) but nothing, nothing secure and steady enough for me to let go of this course. So I really do feel like it's got a life of its own and I'm just, um, I'm the person to bring it into the world, to be of healing and service to my people. But uh, there's a definitely this incredible mystery to how this course, in the form that it is now, is quite different than my eight-week living room course. Um, when I step back and look at it, I'm often just boggled to um, read my testimonials from my students and look at the course and um, think, did I actually <laughs> put this together? I, it's hard to understand, but it's very exciting to um, have that kind of lift and, and push of certainty that mm-hmm. this course is something that I, I just have to bring into the world, especially when I do sink into self doubt, which is also normal and happens.
0: Oh, yes, very human of you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's the short version of how the course came into being. I,
0: I love that.
1: Um, I love
0: healers. I want you to tell us about. The art of personal myth making. Tell us about this course that you created and that is impacting so many, so many lives.
1: Mm, so my premise is not to teach writing craft, but to teach um, healing and transformation through the act of writing, which gets my students if if they follow the process of the course fully at the pace that I set, which is. You know, sometimes that pace is too fast for people, which is why it's great that it's also self-directed. But um, to support people in really healing as they work with some of the, the really deep challenges that come with being human, the hurts and the aches and the disappointments, as well as the joys, and get them to the point where they have a first draft of their memoir written so the reason I'm really emphasizing that it's not a writing craft course and that it gets you to your first draft is that writing a full-size book is a, just a massive, exhausting, enormous undertaking. And um, I have um, you know, fiction writer friends who sometimes their book takes three months and sometimes their book takes 20 years. Each book has a life of its own, but there are so many different pieces to that process and there's a lot of emphasis out there on um, especially in memoir uh, on being a good writer and writing craft and I think it's really important to consider those but not before you've actually just gotten the stories out and written them down and um, so many people that when I say I teach a transformational memoir writing course their eyes light up Uh, And they start to confess that they've harbored a a desire to work with their story and write it down for sometimes more than 20 years. And they haven't started because um, the project is daunting and overwhelming. And um, they might have had life experiences that are very painful to deal with, or they just might not know where to start. Um, So my real emphasis is setting aside all of the critical um, constructive kinds of ways of thinking about writing because we're all all trained through our school systems to be really critical and judgmental and um, get into that and I don't think that that getting to the first draft there's no place for that if you actually want to get the story out Mm -hmm. because it's so easy to stop yourself when you're thinking about how you should be a better writer or how you're not a good writer or how you're a good writer, but you could be better and you need to right. improve those skills. I mean, a lot of this is mindset um, challenges that apply to any big project we have in the world, but specifically to writing, it breaks my heart that people put it off for so long. Um, and most of the reasons they put it off is thinking that they're not good enough mm-hmm. and being afraid of being re-traumatized by um, stepping into the stories that they're most drawn to write about in their life. And so my course is just really focused on supportive body-based writing prompts that just help you get it out where you don't even have to figure the process out because I've set up a beautiful process that you just have to follow um, the body-based prompts are also designed to very specifically work with the nervous system. So learning how to re-regulate and calm and settle our nervous system. Most people, because of our kind of cultural denials of how the trauma response works, um, and I'm talking about like capital T trauma that we all know about, but also little t trauma, the the little things that can just tip us over the edge into uh, dysregulation. And distress <clears throat> most people are have excuse me most people have some kind of dysregulation in their nervous system which can show up in just you know feeling oversensitive all the time or um, more anxious than you think you should be or having gut issues that no one can figure out you know there's a lot of um subtle symptoms that can actually be shifted by calm and settling calming and settling the nervous system and when um, when we take the time to really get intimate with our bodies and our nervous system and calm and settle, then going to um, write about something that feels more challenging is not going to knock us sideways. And then, I mean, the beautiful bonus is all this transformational work translates into the rest of your world, into your relationship with your partner and your children. I just had an email from a student who (laughs) said, Oh, by the way, my relationship with my husband is really changing for the positive. And I'm certain <laughs> it's because of your course, it's like, hurrah. <laughs> oh,
0: and it's like, you didn't even realize that that was a result. And I love it. It works full yeah. circle.
1: Yeah. And so, um, so I just, I structure everything to give people a lot of resources to work on their own healing, but in a really gentle way, I don't find any value in this no pain, no gain, go mm-hmm. hard or go home attitude that we're really um, raised with, but rather slowing down and getting gentle is actually what speeds us up in the long run. Um, and then working with fairy tales, with ancient tales, it's uh, um, it's a way to tap into these archetypal forces, um, these energetic forces that are held within story and within characters that are actually there to teach us, that are there to work with us at a soul level. And um, the stories are usually very simple and straightforward, but the magic that happens when um, we start working with them is, is so profound. It's just beautiful to watch. And, um, and uh, humans are story driven creatures. Uh, we come from incredibly deep and rich, storytelling traditions and oral history traditions widespread literacy is still really fairly recent and as is um, access to radio and television and electricity and um, and larger performances in communities you know so if we think just a few hundred years ago what were our ancestors doing they were mostly entertaining each other by telling stories Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we've lost a lot of that. So just bringing uh, a chance for people to identify um, a favorite old story and then work with it, it, it seems to fill a bit of a gap that's missing culturally. So I really love, just love, <laughs> witnessing my students start to work with the, the one story and all of the incredible insight that starts to show up and then the last bit of the work is um, or play I like I think it's more playful than work because who wants to sign up for a course and feel like they have to work you know? <laughs> each module has a different theme right so for example um, food and culture and exploring um, stories related to food what was your comfort food as a as a child, how does food transmit culture? What might that mean in your life? You know, is the macaroni and cheese that you eat just macaroni and cheese, or does it carry all of these uh, incredible symbols and stories for you in your life? Most likely it's not just macaroni and cheese, right. Uh, Or whatever the comfort food is. So um, just being, trying to delight my students and, um, offer different ways of thinking of things that get overlooked in our lives is an incredible story generator. So that's fun too.
0: This sounds, this is sounds so amazing. And just listening to you um, is so powerful because your voice is so very calming. So I'm just like staring <laughs> off like, oh it, your voice is very healing. Um, and then you have mine just barking in on everybody, waking everybody
1: up. <laughs> oh, no, I really like your voice too. I was listening to your podcast I an episode. I was like, oh, Lindsay's voice. And, and you. <laughs> there's a mm-hmm that you, you do. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to enjoy this conversation with Oh, you. <laughs>
0: I love that. <laughs> okay. Your fairy tale approach is very interesting to me. So give me an example of your favorite fairy tale mm-hmm. and just kind of go with that. Explain to everybody what this is all about.
1: Okay. So um, one of my favorite fairy tales, which really really sticks with me is the um comes from celtic mythology and it's a version of the selkie fairy tale um which are the seal folk seal folk and um there's a really beautiful exploration of it in clarissa pinkola estes's book women who run with the wolves um so do you want me to tell the story yeah okay so once upon a time In a cold and rainy and very rocky part of the world, there was a fisherman who lived in a stone house close to the sea, but not too close to get swamped by storm. And he was so lonely. He would fish and he could provide for himself, but he didn't live in a village. He lived by himself and he had no one to talk to. He had no one to play with. All he had was his fishing to keep himself alive and the landscape. And what he noticed when he would sit by the sea was that on these large rocks close to the waterline, there were these seals that would come up when it was hot and sunny, and they would come up onto the rocks, and then they would take their seal skins off, and inside the seal skins would be these beautiful naked women. And they would sit and sun on the rocks, and they would laugh, and they would play with each other, and they were so joyful. And he just became enamored and envious. And one day, he got the idea, because he watched, and he noticed that when they were ready to go back into the ocean, they would step back into their seal skins and become seals again. But he realized, of course, that if they didn't have their seal skins and if they weren't seals, they wouldn't be able to go back in the water. So he snuck into the water and he swam over to that great big rock. And while the women were laughing and giggling and facing the sun, he slipped up behind them and he grabbed one of the seal skins and he swam back to shore. And he watched. And the time came for all of the women to get back into their seal skins to become seals again, return to the water, which they did, except for one woman who had no skin to get back into. And she cried and she wailed, and the seal sisters bobbed along in the water, watching her and chattering to her, but nothing could be done. as She could not go back into the water with her sisters without her seal skin, and she was trapped on the rock. And the seals eventually swam away, and he caught her attention and showed her the sealskin. And then he swam over to the rock, and he made a deal with her, a bit of a coercive deal because she didn't really have a choice, but he said, he begged her to be his wife for seven years, well, no, he didn't say seven years, to be his wife and have children and live with him, and she said, I cannot do that or I will die. And so eventually they negotiated down to seven years and then he would return to her, the skin and she would return to the sea. So off they go and they live a life together and he continues to fish and she has children and on the surface they have a happy life. He is for the most part kind and loving and adores her and she has accepted this fate that she has and is having children that she loves very much. And so from the outside looking in, they're a very happy family. But she's ailing. And as each year passes, she gets less and less vital and robust. She gets drier. Her skin starts to crack. The light in her eyes starts to dim. And one day, the seven years are up. And she says to her husband, the seven years are up. I need my skin back. We had a deal. And he says, no. And she wails and she cries and her eldest child is watching and listening and wondering what's happening. Um, And then one day, this eldest child who snoops around, which children do, (laughs) which my daughter has confessed to me that she's done (laughs) and finds at the bottom of a trunk, this sealskin that doesn't look like it has a purpose because it's not made into anything. It's simply a sealskin. And she runs down to her mother, of course, not knowing the story because who would ever tell their children such a heartbreaking story as that? And she says, Mom, Mom, I found this sealskin in the trunk. What's it for? Can I have it? And the mom lights up and she forgets about her children and her daughter. And she goes tearing up to the trunk. She grabs that seal skin. She runs down to the water. She puts it on and she leaps into the water where her seal sisters are waiting because, of course, they know that she could only survive for seven years. And if she stayed longer, they would assume she was dead. But they were waiting and hoping that she would return to them and to her family and her home which she did just in time and her body filled up with liquid and all of the cracks in her skin smoothed out and the seal skin wrapped around her and she frolicked with her sisters and was so joyful and then remembered her half seal, half human children and looked to the shore where her eldest daughter had come down with the two other children and they were of course crying and wailing, and didn't understand what was going on. So she swam back up to the shoreline, and she spoke to them, and she said, I cannot stay on land anymore, but you are also of the land and the sea, and you can't stay forever in the sea, or I would take you with me. You can only visit. So I will come back for our visits, but I cannot be on land married to your father anymore. And that's the end.
0: I've never heard that before. That is such a, it's a sad story. And it's a, it's a lovely story. It's lots of things. I love
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, for that story, the first spark when you hear a story is of of whether you know the story is for you, is if you just get really fascinated by it or it really deeply touches you, and that story's always touched me. And I going back to childhood again, I remember doing a, a unit in grade four on animals, and I chose the seal and intensively researched the seal. And this was before I had encountered the Selkie story, but I was really drawn to seals as well. And um, of course, these stories don't have to have an ancestral resonance, mm-hmm. um, but for me, it's some of my ancestry does come from Scotland. Um, so there is that kind of added layer of feeling pulled by a story that my ancestors would have been telling for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let's say I were guiding a student to, to work with the story that they've chosen, and they chose the Selkie story. Um, I would get my student to research the story because there's many different versions. So the more you research, the more you get a sense of the bones of the story and the the symbolism, and then to use the symbolism to be less literal, right? Um, And to look at, you know, what do all the different elements of the story mean in in your inner life? So, for example, um, one of the things that I love about Clarissa Pinkola Estes' exploration of that story, um, as an, an exploration of the wild woman archetype, is um, to consider the woman taking off the seal skin and staying too long out of the skin and out of the saltwater sea um, as a symbol or a prompt or a question about in what ways have I done that to myself, right? In what ways have I strayed too far from what my soul needs, from um, what, what I actually need from the nourishment that my soul needs, uh, the nourishment being symbolized by the skin and the saltwater sea and the sisterhood of seals, right? So then you can start to use the fairy tale to really deeply explore um, what's, what's been dropped or missing or what you're really hungry for but denying yourself and then how can you reclaim it? How can you find your seal skin and get back in the water and, and find your sisterhood of seals? Um, and also, um, how can you bring back with you what you have gained and learned from being on dry land for so long? For example, um, in the Selkie story, her children, right? mm mm-hmm. And then how, how do the children symbolize, you know, that the, the things you've gained that you also want to, to bring with you but maybe can't have all the time? And then the other amazing thing, so in for me, that's what has really resonated is how did I abandon myself and how can I get back to honoring my, my deepest true self? Mm-hmm. For someone else, you know, that story might, take them in a totally different direction. It might be that um, it's there to support them working through uh, a coercive, unhealthy relationship, for example, or um, who knows, right? But there's so many different layers of symbols in the stories that even Even one person working with the story, five years later, you can circle back around and find new richness and new insight that wasn't available to you five years previous because you just didn't need that layer at that time. But it starts to show up once you're ready for the next layer. So it's really quite amazing to work with fairy tales and get super symbolic and um, have fun and even rewrite your own version of it.
0: I love that. That's, it's so unique. And I can see how it's so transformational for people who can, I feel like it's a way for them to identify with something and maybe feel like they're, they're not alone. They have something to kind of go off of. What do you think Mm -hmm.
1: about that? Yeah. Yeah. I
0: love it. So, okay, Janelle, so how can people find out more about this course and more about you?
1: Ah, so personalmythmaking.com will take you straight to all of the details about the course. Um, and if you want to find out more about me, then going to JanelleHardy.com slash about will give you all sorts of extra details. <laughs> <laughs> um, I talk a lot about where I'm from in Canada, which is the far north in the Yukon. I actually just got back Two days ago, so I'm still kind of glowing from being back in my hometown. Anyways, all of that is in the about section on my personal website. Um, And I do have a couple little um, goodies if listeners are feeling intrigued and inspired to try my process. Um, I've got two PDFs. One is called 10 Gentle Yet Effective Ways to Heal Painful Memories Using Writing and Your Body. And that can be found at personalmythmaking.com slash memories. And the other one is called 10 Impactful Memoir Writing Prompts for Healing and Transformation. And that one is at personalmythmaking.com slash writing.
0: I love it. So we will put all of Janelle's links in the show notes so you guys can go and experience her transformational processes, because I don't really think that there, I I think you're so unique. I don't think there's anything else out there like this that I have seen. So thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for sharing the fairy tale. You are the first person to ever tell fairy tale on the podcast. (laughs) So much. It's all been, it's been healing just to listen to it. So thank you.
1: Oh, thank you for having me on your podcast. It's been so fun talking to you.